All the Rage with John Bowd on www.tracksfm.org. Uh, welcome. Um, yeah, me and John were just talking because um, we normally, normally, I say normally, we normally ke- connect on 10, 15 minutes before uh, myself and John are union reps. Um, so we normally just chew the fat on work and, you know, because it can be with what's going on everywhere, certainly at Royal Mail. If they're not battling us in the workplace, they're in front of select committees taking the oath because they lie. Um, uh, just on that select committee, apparently they might be called up for a third time because the public have, are absolutely aghast at um, the goings-on on the last two, anyway. Um, the select committee trilogy. Yeah, they're, they're, apparently, they're, 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 because it was live on TV, the general public actually saw what was going on and are absolutely shocked. That's feedback we're getting from the um, the middle ground um, media. Even the right-wing newspapers are going on about it, but that's only because uh, Royal Mail associate with the Crown and all that. Um, mm. Yeah, so me and John were just talking about um, gutter politics, and, uh, yeah, we, we're, we're full of it at the moment. We're, we're getting told all sorts. If it's not oven-ready, we're breaking the law. Not we, but... Um, the government have just broke the law again on the um, the care for people during COVID. So, uh, but that's nothing new. I mean, they were burning people in the Great London of Great Fire of London, weren't they? It's uh, good that people are getting that something COVID related is coming back, though, because I have this horrible sense that I'll talk about a bit later that people have, you know, they've got the the memories of goldfish, especially politically, and it's all kind of like, oh, that's past now. We won't talk about it. So, like, what are you what are you talking about? We've got fucking criminals in office over here. Yeah, I mean, it's... Oh I thought you people liked justice. Yeah, I mean, you don't need an opposition at the moment. You just well, It's a good to, job, because I haven't fucking got one. You just need to, you know, just be you. <laughs> um, I don't know, um, it's, uh, I, who's the geezer went in the jungle? I forgot his name, because I forget... Matt, which, Matt Hancock. Yeah, so he, apparently he broke the law, or it's been ruled that he broke the law uh, on care workers... Uh, during covid uh, this world this world or this country have got it back to front because he was just getting votes in that jungle thing wasn't it i mean this is what have we gone mad or something have, yeah have we gone well crazy? as i was saying as i was saying to you before we started matt hancock seems to be a particularly special kind of robotic stupid and we were we were discussing about you know what on earth does this man imagine his images but every so often I think stupid people sometimes do something, maybe not smart, but let's just say better informed. And I honestly think, you know, he kind of revealed it himself when he was in that jungle situation where he said, you know, well, I was looking for some kind of forgiveness. Um, again, I mean, firstly, a man is, I know this doesn't say much for anyone who was in Boris Johnson's government uh, or for that matter, the, 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 the present opposition, but he's staggeringly egotistical. And the idea that in the middle of all of this, this death, and failure, which appears to have given him not a jot of a sleepless night so far. Uh, the guy is still going on about his own public image. And I think he imagined, and I don't think, okay, it's a little more complicated than this. I don't think this entirely worked. However, I think what he was trying to do there 
was appealed to the public through the realms of entertainment. Because after all, where else would anyone imagine the power is right now? I mean, if we have time, there's a little story I'm going to come to about that later on. But we've said for the longest time, you and I have discussed in this show, you know, we, we're so often now dealing with these washed up losers who are constantly vying for attention, in the well, in the attention economy, you know, be they... Lawrence Fox or David Baddiel or, or any number of, of people whose names I honestly can't even remember right now. You know, they, they roll up with conspiracy theories or, um, self-proclaimed notions of victimhood. Um, or they try and split and divide people with, uh, even within the realms of, of actual combating racism, which Baddiel has done so very badly. Yes, but my, my type of racism is worse. You know, yeah, thanks, Dave. That's real fucking helpful. Uh, no, I'm just saying, John, it, uh, uh, look, class look I, I, I would expect someone like David Meller to go and do a TV show because he was the butt of all yeah. silly jokes. I could understand John Prescott offering his resignation because he was having it away with his secretary, John Major having it away with Weena Curry. I get all that. But I don't understand how we can put a guy on telly who's, who at that time was being adjudicated on whether he broke the law. Um, and um, uh, subjected people to serious harm because of a, yeah. a, a serious pandemic. And exactly. Then we the can point. put him on telly afterwards, and he goes on there and says, tries to sell himself as some sort of popular figure. I We've think it got was it exactly back right. to front. We have got yeah. it back to front. But but that's what I mean is he he did that because he thought he could. That's what that's kind of what I'm trying to say. He looked at the the present climate with the notions of you know get angry about this non-existent uh, moral panic, uh, particularly relating around the worlds of entertainment, which is something you know everyone's obsessed with because it's the only place they feel like they have any power. They sure as hell don't feel like they have it in the world of politics. Although I do think that's changed graphically as we've seen with all this great strike action throughout the country over the last better part of the last year. I think that's showing that people are shifting their mindset in many ways, but not everyone's going to come along with us. So you know, it's, they're going to need more persuading. So again, they, you know, spend all their time, you know, I'm in an hour about this thing that happened in the world of, of, of either entertainment or, or journalism or all these other places, which is basically a closed shop of, of, um, the middle class and their contacts. And they, you know, run around trying to report. Well, I'm, I'm thinking of a story right now. I wasn't going to discuss, but it's, but it's in the back of my mind. They kind of make up stuff or, or, you know, make it Westminster centric, whether it is or not, so that they can cover it in relation to those sort of things, you know. So whenever there's one of these terrible situations where migrants die, you know, normally in, in the sea, whatever they are, uh, whether they're seeking asylum or, or just running, you know, running because their country is collapsing under the weight of our failed capitalist system, uh, you know, the at best you might get a situation where they pit the Home Secretary versus their equivalent on the opposition benches, both of whom in their own ways are usually exceedingly repulsive. In uh, And I say usually, obviously in the case of the Home Secretaries we have right now, but also with, uh, you know, the best argument the opposition makes is, well, your anti-migrant ideals of shipping people to Rwanda or letting them drown are, are not economically viable. And I'm like, yes, Yvette, that's the biggest problem I have with them. Of course it is. Yes, you know. Well, I, th- I, th- I think what's, what's important here, and it's a good thing, and it kind of was a bad thing for them, or, or a bad thing for us as society, is when the trade unions got together and said, "Let's just all go on the telly, let's get interviewed," mm. 
And uh, bear in mind, they picked the right time because the media wanted to attack, were in the mood to attack the government. They felt it was the right time. So they were giving trade union people um, airspace on TV. Every time they switched on the telly, there was someone from the union. The fact of the matter is, the trade union speaking on the telly were actually speaking truth. They were speaking the truth. They were speaking, mm. the, they were speaking for everyone. Everyone who has to work in this country. They were actually speaking the truth. But yet when they drag on a politician, um, no one could understand or, you know, really didn't trust them what they were saying. The fact is you were putting trade union people on the TV, and I I don't think they'll do it again because the fact of the matter is the trade union people on there were talking about inequality, wages, poverty, all the things, and everyone was going, that that guy's right. That guy's right. And when, when they put... Mick Lynch on with his boss, and and live on TV, his boss had to call, Mick Lynch had to call that guy a liar. You didn't invite us to any meeting. There has been no meetings. Why are you lying? To his face, it, that's not clever. It wasn't mm. posh words. It was lies. And then we get this select committee, and lo and behold, the public are shocked that, that the lies coming out of Royal Mail leadership mouths, live on telly, and this is just this, this, this because the union called for that select committee so that they can answer questions on raw mail, leaving behind people's doctors and hospital appointment letters. It's, you know, that's what that's it took the people to come on and the airspace to tell the truth. And believe me, the truth was not coming from politicians' mouths, it was coming from people who are representing working people and were talking about the truth. And it it was shocking, actually, and that's when the public started coming around and thinking, well, you know, what he's saying is the truth. Why can't they put this guy on telly more than those idiots, or that jungle geezer in the jungle, and all that nonsense? No, I, I think you're right. You've articulated it better than I was trying to, which is you had people who were coming on and focus, yeah, focusing us on the actual meaningful material uh, existence that 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 that. that everyday folks have and that was the trade union leaders and i think it's got to be said that another thing we have to we have to thank corbyn for that because he was the one who was coming who kind of pioneered in this modern age the person who or person or the background they're from trade unionism or the particular trade unionist who is attacked and pilloried by the mainstream media but very rarely given a platform and and yet as soon as they do have that platform you find that the majority of the public watching or listening to that find them instantly more likable. So then they stopped getting him on. And the same thing, like you said, now they've done with Mick Lynch. You know, he's come on, he's shown that all of the, the, the media is completely corrupt uh, and not in sort of some stupid, like tinfoil hat in your bedroom, right wing way. I mean, in a literal, you know, genuine way, you know, the, the, the kind of people that the politicians who report, uh, sorry, the, the news, uh, the media people who report on what our politicians do and then end up at the same dinner parties and the same garden parties for the same publications every summer, etc. That's just one example. And yeah, they, they completely showed that up and they focused people. This is the main issue. They focused the majority of people on the real meaningful issues of all of our lives, things that, are, uh, that affect our material existence. They focused that, and that's why they were like, oh, we can't have them back on again. And, yeah, then you had these absolute mugs that that fill our our television and radio studios and and fill the column inches of our ever-decreasing 
circulation newspapers in this country thinking that they're the smart people thinking they're the best and i'm here because i'm the brightest and i'm the best and mick lynch shows up and goes no you're not and and handed them their ass basically it's a beautiful thing to see um and i think that's where we we'll, we'll start into the show now proper because that is yes um we'll be talking about um well one of the things we will be talking about is hybrid work i'm going to say hybrid we were working from home uh, yeah. working in the office uh, which has become hybrid. I like that word. Hybrid working okay. has become the new buzzword. Like, like I had a man in the early eighties, John. Yes, it is. It, I was going to say of the of the TV events that you you noted this evening, they're substantially been substantially more entertaining than repeats of the Sweeney and Minder. But um, <laughs> uh, well, what we'll do, yeah. So we're going to jump into that in a minute, and what that is is basically a little bit of research on. Um, well, it's interesting you say hybrid working because, again, there's some interesting background to that of, of the way that people see it. But but firstly, we'll just jump in and say about uh, a quick trial we recently saw the conclusion of involving companies that were trialling a four-day working week. Uh, this in, involved moving from about 40 hours a week to 32 hours with no loss of pay. And this was done either by the removal of a day or shorter days over the whole week. The companies involved were quite varied, from office workers to a brewery, a fish and chip shop, and care companies, among others. The results have come in, and they are rather positive. Uh, significant improvements to workers' well-being, such as mental health, decreases in sleep problems and stress, and improved, uh, improved reports of life satisfaction. Among the benefits reported by workers, uh, there was the ability to spend more time with their family and friends and loved ones, including their children, not to mention saving money on childcare at least one day a week. Many of the companies themselves reported revenue improvements and a drop in resignations, among other benefits. They found employees were happier overall, sick levels went down, and productivity went up. Of all the companies involved, a reported 92% have said they intend to stick with the arrangement. Now, we underline the word intend here. Let's, let's just see how it goes. There is no doubt that this uh, can be grown in many sex sectors, although it will have to be applied in different and flexible ways. Many trade unions, including the CWU, have led the way here already, pioneering legally binding agreements to reduce the working hours of full pay without any loss of pay. Uh, we were on that one fairly fairly early on with the magnificent pathway to change, which is about to be reinstated as a legally binding agreement. Well, actually, it never, it never went away, really, did it? It's legally binding. It's just been ignored. Anyway, um, let's jump straight into, yeah, so hybrid, going back to the office, working from home, etc. Now, there's a lot of discussion right now going about going back to the office. Uh, whatever that means. During the worst parts of the COVID-19 pandemic, we saw much of the country shut down, including all those jobs in the lovely shiny offices that often get paid ridiculous amounts of money. But it turns out that when the chips were down, we're actually not very important after all. There are, however, much lower level jobs here and uh, the lives of real people that we have to have concerns for, as there are many knock-on effects of the economy around them. So there is much to discuss here regarding any return or otherwise to a specific work location for the, the, the kind of jobs that we're going to discuss. Some of the most prominent sectors being called back to the office include uh, creative and design and the IT sector. I say prominent because of the in the business press, there is quite a lot of writing about them and quite a lot of studies that have been conducted within these sectors. So that's why they are, you know, quite 
quite prominent in these discussions. The sectors where remote working is presently falling include the aforementioned creative and design, down from 22% remote working in 2022 to 16% in January of this year. IT, uh, 31% down to 28 over the same period. Hospitality and catering, uh, 2.27% down to 1.74 over the same period. And legal, 31% down to 28%. Meanwhile, it is rising among uh, admin, teaching, science and consultancy. Some of the business press refers to these as the knowledge sector or just generally the creative sector. Many knowledge sector workers who were sent home, as it were, found this largely proved they could work productively away from in-person settings, and many employees now voiced dissatisfaction with return to office plans. One example of this, however, of the the plans that are being pushed is the Disney company, who are now mandating a four-day return to the office beginning this month. The memo to staff from CEO Bob Eager stated, among other things, that Disney was focused on creativity. And in a creative business like ours, nothing can replace the ability to connect, observe and create with peers that comes from being physically together, nor the opportunity to grow professionally by learning from leaders and mentors. This kind of total cobblers is commonly heard from these types of companies and many of the far less successful versions determined to force their staff to physically meet for their apparent own good, which it never actually is. It is, in fact, only for the benefit of whatever company they work for, which is fine. It's just good to know that in advance that that's what the companies are doing. None of them give two shits about your feelings or needs or your health. They just want you to do whatever gets them more money and most of which you won't get. Studies taken since the forced shutdown of offices have commonly found employees favour flexible work, according to the Work in Progress website, where I got quite a lot of uh, information for this week's this week's show. So uh, shout out to them. Uh, in one of the articles I was perusing, they stated the following, quote, The arrangement has reduced worker burnout, boosted work-life balance, and even in many cases improved professional performance. This means that there is indeed a mismatch between what employers want and what their workers want, yet bosses are forging on with bringing their employees back in, end of quote. So very similar to the four-day working week trial we talked about earlier on. It's it's been reported by many of these workers that it's actually uh, benefiting them substantially more. Uh, Data of the feelings and opinions of Disney employees, however, on all of this do not seem to have been noted so far. wonder why. It does seem that overall such sectors have seen a preference from employees for this greater flexibility, however. Now, creatives or whatever they want to call themselves are by no means exclusive in this office politics. Even in industries like investment banking, which is notorious for high salaries, uh, low down, indecent human beings, coke addicts, and those that generally keep workers in line with corporate dogma. They have now been walkouts and complaints from young bankers over the long hours that they're experiencing, which is about the first time I can think of hearing about that in my lifetime. I could be wrong. It's just the first time I've heard about it. In some cases, this has seen the employees gain benefit by acting collectively. Who would have thunk it? According to recent research by Adzuna, there has been an increase since January of 2023 of postings on job websites where the geographical aspects of the job were specified. Remote, hybrid, or more specifically, office-based slash on-site. Remote working opportunities have been dropping in these sectors. Some reviews of the recent times pandemic lockdown, many workers not returning to many sectors on account of the poor working conditions, and now the economic downturn, 
have seen some shifts in worker-employee relations. We did see an interesting shift in worker-employee relations over the worst of the COVID-19 pandemic period, benefiting workers with flexibility, while in a few countries there have been many reports of mass quitting since 2021 in the food, the food service sector, hospitality sector, among others, an industry that is notorious for terrible working conditions. But these types of mass individual action, sometimes dubbed the great resignation, are not beneficial for workers on the whole as they lack the collective action and the unity of purpose in a united sense. And uh, any aims for great worker power in the long term are not really being thought about here. So it's not quite a um, not quite the kind of thing we do as trade unionists, but it's it's adjacent, shall we say. It's just a little bit too individualistic at this point. The worsening economic situation now. Uh, situations are now being predicted to shift this balance of power back to the employers, which is why it may very well do so. And we really, really must resist this. Now, on the sort of more individual level, talking about all of these different working arrangements, there are pluses and minuses to working from home. An obvious one in favour of getting rid of the need to travel. You can also choose in many cases to be flexible with your working hours and conditions. With transport fares being what they are, the benefit of working from home has another plus in its column right there. Uh, there's a few jobs I've known of for years. Actually, a neighbour of mine has done this kind of similar kind of hybrid working for years where uh, it's about it's still five days, but it's four days at home and then one day in the office. Uh, not uncommon, but it's just far more prominent now since uh, you know coming out of the, the lockdowns remote workers previously tended to be ignored while many companies or at least uh sorry tended to be ignored within many companies or at least missed in favor of those who are present in the office but that has changed now in the minus column is the inability to escape from contact by your manager or the assumption uh and the slow collapse of your hours into one another as your workday becomes fragmented into the whole day, no longer divided as before. And some people refer to this as living at work. Uh, so basically, yeah, it's like the collapsing in of your, your working hours, as if it's just kind of one long, easily flexible, uh, you know, that you can vary at the whims of your boss. Again, I suppose it depends who you work for. Right? Uh, Britain does not have rules such as those introduced recently in France, which mandate that your boss cannot contact you outside of working hours. In fact, the general consensus uh, we have in this country of, of work is do it until you die, um, which is one of the reasons why why it's so important that we keep doing this kind of work as trade unionists, because uh, this country is a shithole, folks. Anyway, this is certainly a very legitimate concern. The IT equipment provided for remote working is often not as robust or as efficient as what exists within an office environment. Uh, the move to mobile and remote working has meant most offices now use docking stations for that equipment, which means you have to carry all of that stuff when you do go into the office, even if you are just going in for the odd day. Flexible working is also reported as of particular importance to women who often shoulder the burden of caring needs on top of their jobs. Now, forcing women back to the office could cause some to quit burnout or force less productive working patterns and show a lack, shows a lack of care for such individual requirements. Again, this is something that will be addressed with better trade union representation. It always is. Uh, it will only widen the existing gender divides further, however. Uh, many people have become parents or carers during the pandemic and have actually not worked in any office or environment since. Parents also faced 
with the fact that very valuable breakfast clubs and other such after school support have not reopened since the, the lockdowns, meaning that they now need alternative childcare at potentially short notice, not to mention uh, drastically increased prices. The inability to escape the workplace also has some concern regarding mental health. It can increase feelings of isolation and entrapment within your own home, uh, which may be addressed with more social activity. But again, the present economic situation is seeing a reduction in this, at least in regards going out in the conventional sense. As I think we've discussed on this show before, unions for Uber drivers have reported a downturn in weekend work and the parcel sector around the country has seen a drop off in purchases since the beginning of this year. All of this is no doubt related to the cost of greed crisis that we're presently experiencing. One of the many aspects or main aspects, actually, we must not accept is the reduction of pay for any workers now doing their jobs from home, whether full time, part time or a split of a week between offices and home. This is a typical move from bosses and the bigger the company, the worse they are likely to do it. Although, of course, smaller companies are particularly wretched in their own ways, too and uh, we'll pull any old move to get people working for less. One excuse might be that the travel is no longer an issue, so you may not uh, need, or in their minds, and you'll see the cutting of things such as the inner London waiting allowance. Now, if anything, you will likely need more pay if you're going to be working from home more regularly or, or permanently. The energy use is one aspect that will take place in your home, but many may also need much stronger broadband connection depending on the area they're in or if more than one person in their household uses this on a daily basis and there is a weak signal in the area. There's not much you can do about that. So you're going to have to have it boosted. And again, someone's going to have to pay for that. Well, if you're doing it for work, then it should be work that's paying for that. I think it would be quite interesting to see such costs compared against others, such as a cost of transport or buying lunch. And I know lunch is more of a... Uh, more of a choice thing um but again it's it's also to do with with worker um you know health and and, and benefit and which which leads to productivity among other things but yeah i mean transport costs versus the cost of of what's spent in your home on a daily basis is something that i'd love to see some comparisons of if there's any out there that i've missed please feel free to send them to us at the worst end of it, bosses want the workforce back in the office for two main reasons, to keep an eye on them again and because the office space otherwise goes unused. This concerns the owners, landlords of the premises, and many of those folks are also represented very well, sadly, in the political arena. They are either friends or donors to many MPs in cabinet and lawmaking, or in many cases, MPs are actually landlords themselves. Some of us were naive enough to hope that as the pandemic showed how little these premises were needed and therefore they could be better used to house the increasingly severe homeless problem that is tearing people's lives apart, that in fact those offices will be used for far more productive purposes. Now that hope, like all those associated with the post-lockdown period, has shown itself to be in tatters due to the inability of so many to have any memory that stretches back a month, never mind two years. And therefore, as we discussed at the top of the show, there's far too little emphasis on on holding any of these people to account for the crimes they committed during the COVID-19 pandemic lockdown periods. This hope will be dashed next to those relating to ever seeing any justice for those families of loved ones who were killed by government action to protect an already failing economy over their health and safety. But as ever in an economy like this, there are also the knock-on effects. 
The business areas of major cities like London, for instance, are full of lunch places to cater to the physical workforce that is regularly in attendance, from small independent sandwich shops to chains such as Pret-a-Manger. If offices close, so do these shops eventually. Many get so little business presently outside of the workforce that, that comes to them that they do not even open at weekends. In some cases, we will see the closing of branches, which may hopefully involve as many of the existing workforce as possible being moved to more convenient remaining outlets. But it is more than likely that we will see large layoffs one way or another. So that, again, is one of those things we, we do have to think about. Then there's the aforementioned transport. Uh, cities uh, such as London, Manchester, etc., have seen a huge rise in transport fares recently, especially London, which is taken by the management and is not passed on to the employees, hence much of the industrial action that we're seeing at the moment. But if less people are using the service, as we saw during lockdown, and the service is structured like so much is around the notion of profit, this is going to result in a loss. How much is debatable, of course, and I, for one, am very unlikely to believe management claims of near poverty, but there will certainly be a drop in revenue and and usage, basically. There are already signs that the looming economic downturn is leading to companies taking decisions that will reduce labour mobility. In tech, for example, some of the biggest firms in the world have been commencing layoffs, hiring freezes, and even restricting job offers following rapid expansion in the wake of the pandemic. There is much of what we would uh, call white-collar layoffs taking place at the moment. In fact, there's a large downturn in white-collar jobs all over. Banks are facing the biggest job cuts since the financial crisis. Uh, Goldman Sachs fired 3,000 employees recently, while Morgan Stanley has laid off 1,800 staff, which is just over 2% of its workforce. Credit Sus has announced 9,000 losses from its 52,000-strong workforce over the next three years. Journalism also is seeing a downturn. BuzzFeed is laying off 12% of its employees, reportedly. Fox Media, NBC and MSNBC also announced job losses, as did Reach, uh, the UK company, with 200 workers set to be let go by the publisher itself. A major answer for all this is a reduction of digital ad revenues. According to Aaron Bastani over at Navarra Media, quote, these falling revenues combined with higher inflation explain job losses at tech and media firms, while in financial redundancies, while in finance, redundancies are primarily the result of an economic downturn. End of quote. Now, this is something I want to look at in more detail on another show where we can perhaps talk about automation in greater detail. Um, I'll say a little bit more about it here and later on in the show, too, on both of those subjects, but I, I hope to, to revisit what we're talking about here at a later date when I can I can grow and expand the coverage that we're giving to this. It is something of a dramatic shift that will again require collective action and adds many white-collar workers to the lines of those being more expendable than they might have once imagined and therefore more susceptible to recruiting from the likes of us. After all, these industries were once the great bright future. For the most part, this didn't happen. And again, as noted by Mr. Bastani in his article in Navarra, quote, when it did, the work was geographically concentrated, offering little benefit to post-industrial communities. End of quote. Always worth remembering that. Tech also benefited from economic handouts and being privileged. Aside from freelancers, these industries did good business and had plenty of protection during this pandemic too. Uh, again, the, uh, the steady, ha invisible hand of the market proves to be total bullshit as ever. 
Any big company could decide tomorrow to up sticks and shut any of their offices. Some post-pandemic already have. All the more reason for a much better system, a more caring system that sees the fate of workers as of paramount importance during any economic good time, but also the very bad ones. Again, something I want to go into in more detail, and maybe we have time to touch on this this week. Uh, we'll see. I'm, I'm summing up on this section now. But I think with many... So many of us have said for, for a long time, particularly on the left, that there are certain things that should never be susceptible to the profit motive. One is healthcare, transport, postal, prisons, anything that basically involves a, a duty of service and, and care to that higher level. And I think we're seeing that now, possibly as other things being added to that. So what you, you have to ask yourself, what we have to ask ourselves, I think the whole nation is putting aside any economics, what is the real value of these systems? What is the real value of, for instance, the transport system, the postal service, because, et cetera, because what we do is more important than how much it makes. Uh, and that's before we did the most obvious one, of course, being health. Anyway, summing up on the return to the office. Uh, I think now is a time to very seriously take on the idea of what some people call degrowth. At the very least, we need a sensible people-centric plan for a much smaller economy. Reliance on hyper-consumption will not work, and when another crash comes, it will yet again be the working class that suffer the most from it. Economic downturn is unavoidable at this stage, as much as happened already, and we are seeing people spending less whether on luxury purchases or going out the weekend. Cost-cutting and redundancies can have uh, a greater level of power and hand a greater level of power back to the employer. All workers must organise to protect what they have and advance their interests. So hopefully that's covered a lot of the going back to the office debate, the hybrid working, um, you know, on-site stroke remote working. Uh, obviously, we can always grow this conversation and add to it, uh, but that's... That's what I've kind of found for this week. So, Dave, over to you. What do you what do you make of um, this? Yeah, I mean, they were really good, interesting points. I, I just want to, um, because uh, I, when I talk about the short working week, uh, people assume rightly because they're untrustworthy uh, that the short working week will mean they will be getting less pay. That's not what the argument is. You'll be getting the same pay or more, depending mm. if you're with a trade union. Uh, but you'll spend less time at work. Uh, because mentally uh, you're able to produce more whatever you do um, if you've rested if you've had breaks if you've spent time with your family spent time away from work um, before we get the normal who's going to pay for that you know John's friends um, <laughs> um, well let's put it this way so there's no one here on this so before you say look at those two lefties wanting people to sit at home playing playstations no you're wrong. You're so wrong. So what established during the pandemic is, is is that people needed to get out. They needed to go to work. They needed that human interaction. We all found that out the hard way, unfortunately. Um, and there was terrible mental health issues in lack of human contact. It's very important. Um, so um, the short working week does make people much more healthy, healthy mentally it takes you away from the workplace. It gives you an opportunity to spend more time with your family. Unfortunately, your partner or your husband or wife and your kids, if they're over 20, may not have the same terms and conditions. You could end up spending more time at home alone. 
um, which is not good for you. Um, in regards to hybrid working, yes, we are looking at a an effect on that. It's had an effect on the train service, for example. However, the people that run the train service, like the Royal Mail, took the, the drop in foot traffic and mail traffic as a green light to decimate the rail service and the postal service. So, you know, listen, as much as you think people, we're advocating people to spend time at home and, and work and get money for nothing. No, we're not saying that, but we're saying that when you see a change in society since the Industrial Revolution, the sharks, i.e. the people that own these big businesses, take that as a green light to smash it to pieces. And I'm telling you now, since the early 80s, everything that's gone that we treasured in the 60s and 70s, that's been smashed. I want you to think carefully about this, kids. It ain't coming back. Think again. Anything, everything that we enjoyed in the 60s and 70s, um, free, free for society in the UK, and has disappeared since the early 80s. In fact, smashed to pieces, and the people caught those pieces, run off into the night. It's not coming back. Bear that in mind, John. Yeah, I mean, I think we can build better. That's that's the one thing that we always try and underline on this show. That's what the whole point of so much of this kind of trade union action, among other things, is about. It's about you know building a better tomorrow, which we can have. But you're right to say that you can't kind of reactivate some of the better quality of living aspects that have been taken apart. And that's one of the many, many reasons why I get so agitated when I hear people, you know, heaping praise upon the 1980s and 1990s, especially when they weren't there, because you don't know how dark those times were. I mean, basically, to come back on a couple of things that we've discussed here before we go forward. So, you know, I am, as you may tell, this this is interspersed with what I've done for my research here and what I've found other people's experiences about everything that's, that that's, they've got from the working at home or remote working or hybrid working. And, you know, kind of combining those two things together to, to find the truth. Now, on a personal note, I think you can tell from the degree of cynicism that I don't value a lot of these. You know, you and I and many people like us and, and the health service and the transport service, you know, basically when the chips were down, as I said earlier, when the shit hit the fan, whichever term you want, metaphor you want to use, we had a, a major pandemic to suffer through. We all stayed in the workplace. We didn't go home. We didn't lock down. We didn't get furloughed. Only in our personal time did all of that happen. The rest of the time, we worked hard, scrubbed the shit out of our hands, and in my case, tried not to get too paranoid about whether or not I was going to catch the disease and pass it on to people. So we we just carried on. Those That is one way of showing which jobs are important and which ones aren't. So my attitude towards a lot of office work is, well, it's, it's ultimately fairly meaningless. Um, it's what... Much of it is what David Graeber called bullshit jobs. Now, that, that is not said purely on the basis of, of some kind of enjoyment uh, saying these sort of things. It's actually more of a fear I have of what happens when it is realized that these are bullshit jobs and therefore the whole thing collapses. And that's much of what I've been talking about tonight, which is what then happens to smaller businesses or even chains that people work for when business group when companies or whatever decide not to bother bringing people back to their shiny offices those places are all going to close down because they're not they're not getting enough business they're not making enough to pay the the rents the extortionate rents on the shop 
premises that they that they rent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, it's, it has this knock-on effect, and I have to admit to that. Even if I have contempt for much of this work, I do have to say that if it's going to be taken apart in any way, it needs to be done properly in a way that is concerned for the needs of other people. You know, when you have these economic downturns again from the 80s onwards the idea was to look at anything like this and then say um okay this isn't making what we think it should or this is making less than it was therefore we have to completely strip it asset strip it for instance and sell it off as much as we can in little parts so we get lots of money and everyone else who's involved in it gets completely fucked over well that's one of the reasons why we have a homelessness pan- uh, pandemic or you could call it a pandemic certainly a crisis it's one of the reasons we have a homelessness crisis it's one of the reasons why people are in such terrible insecure barely functioning work that's that's why a lot of that has happened and that's not something that is being addressed by anyone with any of their plans right now. And that's something that we as, as workers need to do, which again, I come back to the CWU as a good example with their pathway to change agreement, which was signed up to by Royal Mail, which plans among other things, how to reduce 35 hours to a full-time working week, because it's going to be necessary among other things for the effects of automation, which I'm going to talk a little bit about in a minute. Um, This is whether you like it or not, this is a direction things are going in. And so we don't all basically get swallowed up and 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 chewed up by all of it and and have our lives destroyed. We need to act now. We need to act in ways that are, you know, the kind of if you want to use office boy language, we very 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 deeply need to think vastly outside of the box. Okay, out of the box, we need to run different ideas up the flagpole and see who salutes them, you know, or whatever other leftover nineties management language I'm familiar with. You know, we, this is what we need to engage with. And, uh, and that's, yeah, that, that's what I think is important. And that's what we're trying to do here is in one way, this stands as a warning, but in other ways it stands as, as a, a point to the future. Now, some of the other issues here just to underline is, you know, many people I know, yes, they, they suffered from not seeing enough people, uh, Dave's absolutely right to point that out because seeing people is substantially more important to the majority of you than it is to me. And I appreciate that. I, I, um, I respect that. It's a difference of feeling, but not only would it necessarily have to be the workplace where they get it, you know, but quite often it is, but also it's that feeling, as I mentioned, of feeling not only isolated at home, but also being, you know, um, intruded upon because your home becomes your workplace. And that can be very detrimental to mental health. You can feel very much like you are, uh, you just can't escape from work and yet you don't even have the benefit of having a chat with your mates at, at break time. You know, so yeah, there's a lot to think about here. And don't get me wrong, you know, I've reviewed this. I have no power over this. I've just reviewed the situation because it's what's happening in the world of work and I thought it was worth discussing. But, yeah, we, we need a plan that takes in all of these aspects. Um, yeah, I don't know. Does that answer anything you, you for you, Dave? Yeah, as I said, um, there's no answer to to what's going on in society, John. As I said, we had similar, and I wasn't alive then, but you know, we had similar situation in the Industrial Revolution. Um, where people were working from home and they were taken away from home and put in factories. Yeah. Um, and due to a lot of working class influence in the um, in Parliament since 1924, um, the health and safety within those factories improved. 
um, and certainly improve tenfold. And I'm not advocating Brexit. I'm, I don't care. You know, it's all a lie anyway. Um, a lot of those EU laws came in as part of the single market, etc., from 1974. Um, and then we had things like um, ACAS created in 1974. Uh, and then we had a wonderful piece of legislation in 1976 called the Race Relations Act, uh, 1976, um, which came off the back of the violence of the Notting Hill Carnival. Uh, and then we had the um, Equality Act, which uh, for women... Uh, from 1976 so there's been some things came out from the industrial revolution Um, we're just learning John Um, we're learning um, not necessarily for the over 60s because uh, they've just got a different view not all our senior citizens are very clever and I listen to some wonderful nuggets of wisdom from our senior citizens Uh, some some of them not so much (laughs) um I'm telling, I told him, I told him, uh, I said you. I, I didn't ask for your opinion, Bowdy, because I knew you were going to go there. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be polite here. Um, I'm just saying that there, if we go through history, there's been some improvements and ways and things that have happened that we've learned on the, we've learned on the fly, if you like. Uh, but yes. I think we were a lot more tolerant during some of these times. Tolerant now? Uh, not so much. And which yeah, is which is a yeah. shame. We should be ashamed of that, John. We've, we've snapped back into some bad habits, and I think that people realise that that we we have to rely on one another. I think that's something that everyone got from the pandemic, whether they want to admit to it or not. You know, we have to rely on one another. We don't rely on our masters. And while I don't believe in you know completely deconstructing the state like many anarchist comrades do. Uh, respect to them, but I, I don't share that viewpoint. But they are absolutely right about the unity of, of action. I mean, listen, for every everyone out there who who screams their kind of rank individualism because, like the overgrown fifteen year olds that they are, they've read an Iron Rand book. The truth of the matter is, we all unite on things all the time. We all have this yearning to do so, whether it's around a football team, whether it's around a notion of nation or whether it's around some kind of free party you go to, or maybe in a party you have to pay for, whether it's in a trade union, whether it's just in, you know, a group of, of friends even, or or even joining, you know, institutions like the armed forces. You know, one major aspect of all of that is being with others. It's it's working together for a greater whole and feeling a sense of of purpose and a sense of satisfaction that you've done that. So, you know, claiming this kind of, you know, I, I am a man alone, you know, stuff you get from your dystopian comic books or whatever. You need to, you need to shred that man. It's, it's just stupid. I mean, look, there's a lot of things we've touched on here tonight that I want to come back to later on, not least the kind of collapse in the tech sector of the jobs that, as I said, was supposed to be the future. I think that's something very interesting that we need to look into. I'd, I'd much rather get someone who knows more about it than me on the show to discuss it. But nevertheless, one aspect, as I said, is automation, which is a big subject for more than one show. But I think it's worth starting the conversation about it now. Um, so it's something that's been pushed, praised, and to a smaller extent derided for some time now without going into an actual history. We'll take our starting position from around the mid-2010s up to today. So the idea, such as has been in many versions of it in the past, 
uh, and many technological innovations that the further automation of many aspects of modern life would lead us all to having more spare time, which may sound very familiar to you, and a better quality of life. Uh, to give you a very quick summary of my position on that, you should have thought of doing it under something other than capitalism, and then that might have actually happened. The defining aspect of why it has turned out this way is the same one that it always is. It's the same thing that I just said it is. It's capitalism. Our system, one, uh, our very way of life, which is splitting apart and a great, to a great degree right now, uh, very much in the, the piss weekend and has no idea how to go forward. So this is not really the time to, to automate more. A system that is far more comfortable working us to death, literally in many cases, is now apparently supposed to adapt to a world where we work less without any loss of lifestyle or security. Many of us are members of trade unions that have been mentioned a few times this week's show uh, who have put forward agreements with management that recognise the need to reduce the working week without reducing the full-time pay rate. But right now, we in the CW, I've already said all this, are fighting for the reinstallment of this specific agreement. Uh, Royal Mail Management have instead chosen to try and attack our terms and conditions and reduce us to the insecure, brutalised levels of the worst aspects of the gig economy. Now, I mentioned that again in the context of automation because therein lies part of the problem I have with it aside of all of your utopian thinking uh, when you have these kind of operators with positions of power this is what they're going to default to luckily due to a very strong trade union and a united workforce they have failed to do this to us but we need to make sure they don't do it to anybody the whole industry is a hideous example of how this really works unless we control the means of power it will be the same forces making our lives worse more automation means less jobs less hours working means you have to pack more into your work day and get paid less for it now another example that exercises me comes from the wonderful world of consumption the thing i resent the most is how we all go in now well, for me how i often go into a supermarket and these days we end up working for them. They have shred staff and kept on the ones they need to make their self-scanning machines work and show you and me how to find an aubergine on the damn thing. Uh, but at this point, this has basically become a job, a job that you get scanned for and then have to pay them for. A scanned, as in, I mean, you get filmed. Something um, to employ somebody to do, basically. They've shred a job and got the rest of us to do it voluntarily, which technically should be illegal. To give you my example, so I work uh, a job that starts in the early a.m. and it finishes in the mid-afternoon. I leave work and I go home and if shopping is needed, then I usually wait until the evening, by which time most of the personal tills are closed, the person tills are closed, and I have to use the self-service machines. So I scan my trolley and I search to find items without barcodes to get a price. The job that is done by till staff, it is a job they're trained to do, it's a job they do during the day, you can you can line up at the self-service tools or you can line up and, and see an actual member of staff who talks to you and does this job for you. So the huge money-grabbing chains have scaled down their staff, then got us to do the work not only for no pay, but in fact, at the end of it, we pay them while being sold the idea that this is more convenient to us. At this stage, I really believe that utopian optimism of the early cheerleaders of automation has shown itself to be a delusion. As ever with capitalism, they will bleed us dry before giving us a break, no matter how small it is. We are seeing without doubt that what is left is, the left has warned about for some time that this is, there is no such thing as endless growth. 
companies basing their future on such growth are now finding out that what they had passing for plans has been undermined by the cost of greed effect on all of us, meaning energy, food, etc. has gone up so severely people are finally cutting back on the useless toys that they don't really need. How does the magnificent and durable system of capitalism react to this? By shitting their pants and screaming to the brutal end, it seems. Uh, there is no solution here. They think everything will grow forever and it simply will not. It's as plain and simple as that. So we have to intervene ourselves. Um, so, yeah, that's my first dispatch on automation, which basically came from my great personal annoyance at having to use the self-service tools. Because like I say, this is them getting you to work for them. I shouldn't be doing this. Uh, an employee should be doing this. A unionized employee who's getting a very good rate of pay and is perhaps working four days a week or less if they want to, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Automation, Dave. How do you, is it just me that hates the self service tools? <coughs> okay. I'm, uh, I'm not getting you. I don't know. I don't know if your mic's gone down again. Live radio, folks. It's all part of the fun. Um, Okay. If if you don't come back in a sec, I will carry on with the next section. No. Okay. We've got five minutes left. Um, I'm sure Dave will reconnect in a moment. And usually it's me that drops out, funnily enough, actually. So it's, uh, it's my go, his go this week. So look, let's talk very, very briefly about uh, the situation with the, the works of Roald Dahl. Now, you may have heard of yet another manufactured controversy over the changing of some aspects of the writings of children's author Roald Dahl. I've intentionally not followed this to the best of my ability, as it neither concerns me nor matters to anything to do with real life. For whatever my opinion is to this point, uh, I think he was a shit writer and a raging anti-Semite, so I could care less what you do with his books. But due to the intervention of a royal, I now feel compelled to make one major point concerning this uh, this manufactured story. So, uh, on the surface, this is about changing some of the writing that I understand to remove some of the cruel ass uh, descriptions of this dickhead's books, uh, nasty fat kids, etc. Uh, naturally, this has wound some people up because they have an easy life involving no threat to their economic security, unlike all of the examples we've talked about this evening. It has nothing to do with freedom of expression because that is not being threatened in any way. It is, in fact, reads more simply as a business decision. Nevertheless, there are plenty of self-righteous and uh, hypocritic, hypocritic people, hypocrisy, you know, I'm not quite sure I've said that word right. Uh, there are very hypocritical people from the usual quarters using this as their latest bandwagons before we forget who all of them are. Now, Dahl has an estate managed, I believe, by members of his family. This is relating to that thing so many conservatives are very fond of, which is intellectual property rights. The owners of this property can change whatever they like, aside from some specific agreements within those ownerships that say certain things can't be done or, or changed. Anyway, this is not something us mere members of the public have any control over. You can always get uh, a capitalist benefit out of all this for yourself anyway. You can get hold of uh, the copies of existing Dole books that you can flog on eBay or wherever you want to sell them. Uh, they've never been out of print, to my knowledge, so there shouldn't be a problem finding them. I'd suggest checking the charity shops. There's no reason why this, this is even remotely a story, he says, ending the show with it. However, the following is the reason why. The only thing that has made this story matter in any way is the intervention of Camilla, 
or for, or for that matter, it would be for any one of the royals. But this is apparently, as I understand it, uh, what has happened where she has intervened to say that this shouldn't be done. Now, um, all the rage wears its anti-royalism fairly lightly. It is uh, kind of a given, but I rarely feel the need to mention it. But this story has single-handedly changed that. In a country with increasing child poverty, to the point that charities designed to help the developing world, as it used to be known, have actually ended up coming home. In a country where people cannot afford to keep themselves warm, where we were subjected to a government who cared so much more about economic growth that didn't happen that they failed to, and they failed to achieve that they did absolutely nothing about protecting our lives and let many people simply die from a terrible virus, where we have zero democracy in the process of choosing our last two prime ministers at the very least. These shitty books are the things that you care about enough to intervene. Now, we all know that the royals are not supposed to intervene, but they do all of the time on various things here, there, and and otherwise. Sometimes it's to our benefit. Quite often it usually isn't. A bit like the House of Lords. I really find it difficult to accept that someone in a country where the things I've just noted are happening, among other things, or or where refugees are left to, to, to drown, etc or suffer terrible living the thing you want to intervene on is whether or not these god-awful books should contain horrible descriptions of fat kids or what i why why do you give a shit about this maybe because you're completely disconnected from reality and to those ends take the fucking lot of them to the tower quite frankly i'm I'm sick to death of them uh dave you back thank you sorry yeah no all it was but in the closing moments i was i left that that little story till last i really just wondered if you had any feedback on the bits i was saying about automation am i the only person who hates uh self-service tools because i feel like i'm being made to work twice in a day no no and and and, and the thing is is people certainly in the uk we there's a rush mentality you know we got to be there yesterday um and people you know there was a, a joke amongst western europe that the the brits like a queue you know <coughs> Um, I, I think we're going to have to find a way around it. But as I said, I, I know many elderly, um, uh, having spoken at many elderly committees, um, certainly in some parts of London, about the postal service, um, and and they take great joy in standing in a queue and talking to people. Yeah. Um, I think we've reached an age, uh, and you mentioned books. You mentioned someone written a, wrote written a book. I think. When you mentioned book, it's aimed at a certain age group now. Um, mm. Unless they're streaming the story fiction, fictionalised on Netflix, the audience you're looking for are going to be over 60. Uh, if you write a book nowadays, or it's very specialist, or someone signs it, or something like that. So I, th- I think I think we need to find a way... Uh, look, my view about automation of tills is... Uh, just get the people in there and, and, and get them to serve you like normal. They have some human interaction. They mm. need it. You need it. The pandemic proved that we need that human interaction. How's your day? I like going into my local Tesco's and they always know me by my first name. Um, they'd probably know me a lot of names apart from my first name. <laughs> In, in my local supermarket, only is that twat who can never find an aubergine on the, on the machine and constantly calls one of the staff over to find it for him. Yeah. Um, truth of the matter is, I actually don't try very hard because, again, I think it's their bloody job and not mine. 
But I will say this, I tend to now, since the pandemic, John, I tend to go to my local sort of shops now, rather than the mm. big supermarkets. I tend to go to my smaller shops. I know a lot of the smaller sweet shops are now turn into alcohol deliveries, which is a real shame, but it's a ma- not amazing, it's shocking uh, how much booze is getting shipped out to people's homes and we don't know how, what's happening to these people. But again, as I said, it, uh, we've reached a revolution that kind of we a lot of uh, trade union um, um, departments uh, historic departments which we have in trade unions um, have planned for some sort of revolution digitally for 10 years and it just really really accelerated during the pandemic so we're playing catch up are we as a society able to do that like the German community I don't think so I think we're just playing catch up, and we'll always be playing catch up, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I mean, another as coming back to what I said earlier about how we we have to look at how we value things that are important to society, a wider society, uh, perhaps even to live in a in a kinder country, you know, a kinder world, which I think many of us aspire to. As many studies have shown, as we discussed last week when we were talking about co housing. Um, Loneliness is is a major issue. You know, some even describe it as a, an epidemic. It's a very serious thing in this in this uh, among other places in this country. The kind of isolation and loneliness before the pandemic took place, and and certainly it's not got any better since. So, one of the many things that's done by, like you say, local supermarket. I mean, you know, the supermarket that my parents go to. <clears throat> My mum and, and one of the women that works there have shown each other pictures of their grandkids growing up. You know, that's how well they know each other. And the value of that is beyond any immediate economic gain for the company that she works for, this woman works for. It is far more important than that. And again, you have to decide how much you value this, how much are you willing to give to it. Now, when it comes to certain things, certainly for me, like the NHS, it, and I, I think if you just calm down for a minute, if you disconnect your brain from, I don't normally ad- advocate disconnecting your brain for anyone, but if you disconnect it from the kind of mainstream political, economic ideology that runs through the media, among other places, you know, with constantly looking at the FTSE 100 and trying not to have a heart attack, it what value that has is is nothing to do with those economics and my position on something like the nhs is it costs whatever it costs and i think as i said if you disconnect from all that crap you actually probably agree with me it, it costs what it needs to cost and if it goes up next year it goes up and that's what we need to do we need to generate the the revenue for that which is very easily doable um again we haven't got time to go into it this week but again there is a there is a particular mindset in this country which is that you can't tax profits, you can't tax companies. Well, they've just taxed Amazon in Barcelona. So again, I've just got the details about that. I don't have time to go into it. It won't be next week, actually. It'll be the week after because we've got an interview next week. But, you know, these things can be done. It is a political willingness to do it. Now, if you want to call it radicalism, that's fine. You can call me a radical. It's, it's, it's a badge I would wear uh, very strongly uh, and proudly. But... I'd say it's just 
everyday humanity that I'm advocating for. You know, you know as well as I do, Dave, as post people, we have a role which is beyond merely bringing your bills around. It's beyond really bringing your, your playthings, your parcels around. Um, we have a major role in society, and that doesn't have an easily applicable economic value. Secondly, I don't care what its economic value is because I don't work for these bastards. I work for you, the public. You're the people I care about. I don't care about the CEO of Royal Mail or any of the knuckle-dragging dipshits that he's employed beneath him, all of whom are about to be thrown under a bus as soon as that guy's in a, a level of headlights that he can't duck out of. So, you know, it, it does that does not concern me, but the needs of people concern me. And the needs of, for instance, the idea that alleviating loneliness to some degree simply by me knocking on the door and saying good morning, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to spend my life doing things like that, to dedicate my life to making people in those sort of situations feel better, feel less isolated, feel less pain. And the value of that is beyond comparison. It's certainly above economics. So yeah, take that with you uh, this week. And um, do you have anything to add, Dave, or shall I? Sorry. No, uh, John, thank you very much. It's been okay. very insightful. Um, um, and uh, yeah, um, we'll catch you. You said there's an interview next week. Yeah, yeah. So just to let you know, I'm going to go and start editing it now. Um, I was fortunate enough to do part two with uh, the magnificent filmmaker Saeed Taishi Faruke this week. Um, God, it was great. There's some slight sound problems at the beginning of it, which I'll warn you all about on the on the broadcast. But um, other than that, it's it's really insightful, really interesting. He's a great filmmaker and a really, uh, really interesting guy. Uh, I'm desperately trying to persuade him to, to, to get involved in podcasting and things with me because I just think me and him prattling on about films would would be great uh maybe get him in in my well on my existing podcast my little side hustle called uh, marks at play which me and uh, jamie woodcock do but uh yeah so that's going to be next week I, I strongly recommend you you checking it out i'm gonna be away for just for next week but we'll be back it should be back live the week after um hopefully this monday night uh, i will come out of a, a venue in newcastle drenched in sweat and glory uh, because I'm going to see Young Fathers, who I've not seen for a while, and who are an absolutely stunning live band. Um, and I strongly recommend them, although most of their present tour is sold out. Uh, and um, also, many of the tickets have been dealt with by the god-awful company Dice, which I'll come to in another week when we talk about automation. Um, but that aside, yeah, I've said probably more than I need to, but check out the the interview next week with Said and... Um, and prepare for the third part because it's going to be a trilogy at some point. Uh, Dave, thanks so much. Sorry I've crashed your show again, and um, I will speak to you later in the week. Thanks a lot. All the Rage with John Bowd on www.tracksfm.org.